0: Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to the epistle to the Hebrews, and we'll read chapter 1. Let us hear God's word as it comes to us from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. As in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become... So much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions and You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool"? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we... Continue to consider the epistle to the Hebrews, we recognize from last week that Jesus indeed is superior to all things. superior he is better than, and you can fill in the blank. The Old Testament in its manifestation of god's covenant pointed to Jesus, and Jesus is better than superior to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, and the kings of the Old Testament, the temple of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of them all. And so, therefore, He is superior in all things. And this wasn't just a message for the early Christian, Christian Hebrews who were in danger of falling back into Judaism. But really for all of us who by nature would set our hope and our fulfillment in anything else other than Christ, or place anything else equal to Christ or higher than Christ. And maybe we do that in many ways. Maybe even we make church higher than Christ by overly institutionalizing it and having traditions and, and putting our hope in preachers and elders and deacons and 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 so on in the church. Maybe we do this in family where we 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 believe that, you know, as we raise our children, where hope is in covenant parents and 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 really not necessarily in the Christ of the covenant and in our own instruction and our own guidance for our children. Maybe we put our hope in other institutions of this world, like, like governments. Maybe we, maybe, this was a huge issue in the early church where uh, kings were seen as deity and, and they had this savior complex to them. But how is that much different today when, when governments are forsaking what we had originally built our countries on in Canada and the US and so on? Especially when we come under the headship of Christ Jesus and when you take that away, then then governments become a deity to themselves and, and take upon themselves a Savior complex. It's the same issues today. Society and all of its medical advancements and all of its ingenuity and all of the resources that we have in this world and all of our recreation and our clubs and our lush lifestyles. We set them all before and above Christ Jesus our Lord. We too, like the Judaism, have placed our traditions and all of these things before and above Christ Jesus. If you don't, just look in the mirror for a little while and evaluate everything you do in life and think about it. Is Jesus better than anything you have, everything you have in life? If he's not, you're no better than the Judaizers of the days of the Apostles. And my heart, and I'm sure your heart, is no better. Rather than focusing on Jesus Christ, we might want to let our imaginations run wild and try to have all kinds of fanciful interpretations and imaginations of spiritual beings, indeed, and, 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 and like angels and demons and Instead of dealing directly with heaven's God himself, we would rather deal with the angels. I think if you go around the world and look at our culture, angels are the in thing and Jesus Christ is the out thing. You can see that whether you look at movies or books or or our culture around us, we'd rather deal with angels than Jesus Christ. So and that, that was a problem in the early church as well. And an, an unhealthy emphasis on angels. But the author of Hebrews isn't writing it necessarily because they had simply an unhealthy emphasis on angels. But really because of the Word of God. The Word of God set angels as, as, as a great being and ministers of God especially of the Old Covenant, as, as they were in instrumental in bringing the law on Mount Sinai. We find that in Hebrews 2, verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels and bringing the law and showing transgression was important. We find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, where we find that the law was delivered by angels. And so their mediation of the law of the old testament and their influence in the temple worship even the cherubs at the mercy seat we find that judaism the early church would struggle with where do angels fit in and 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 the author of hebrews gets right to the point that jesus christ has been given a better name than angels than angels he's superior to angels. That's our theme for this morning. Jesus is superior to angels, and we'll see that especially as we look at Hebrews chapter 1. And our text will come primarily from verse 4 through uh, the end of the chapter. And you see in this transitionary verse in verse 4 that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Our three points will be Jesus is superior to angels because he has a superior name, a superior position, and thirdly, a superior power. Jesus has a superior name to angels. The name angel means messenger. Their very name means messenger. It was a name given to them because they were the creation of God. We find in Colossians chapter 1 that indeed he, he is, uh, Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation, He's the head over all, he, He's created it all. And And all things were created by Him, both visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, even angels were created by Him and for Him. And so they are Jesus' messengers, created by Jesus to be His messenger. We find at the very end of this chapter in verse Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? This is a rhetorical question. Yes, indeed they are. They are God's messengers. But the name of Jesus is referred to here in Hebrews chapter 1 as the Son of God. We find that, especially already in verse 1. He has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. In Various times past, various ways, even through angels, He has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. But now has spoken to us by His Son. And now has obtained a more excellent name than they. And He goes on to say, And give his explanation of this based on even the Old Testament prophecies. In verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And here he's quoting Psalm chapter 2. And he's showing in Psalm chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his superiority rest upon His inheritance of the very name, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And that's really the author's burden here to show that this is the Son of God who's bringing in the new covenant to fulfill the old covenant, the gospel has replaced and transformed the view of the law. The covenant which is mediated by Christ had formerly been mediated by angels. And now His purpose is to to really to show them that His revelation through His Son is so far superior than that of angels. And so hear Him for His namesake. Because he has inherited a superior name. The name being God's Son. How did Jesus get this name? How did he inherit the name, the Son of God? Or when, maybe we could ask, did he inherit this name, the Son of God? Last week, you say, Pastor, you said that he was the Son of God from all eternity. How did when then is he saying that he will have this name? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. When did he inherit this name? Well, we, we need to be very clear about this: that Jesus Christ is eternally the Son of God. He did not become the Son of God at the Incarnation. He did not become the Son of God when he took upon himself ministry and was anointed by Uh, the father and he said this is my son no he didn't become the son of god upon his resurrection or anything like that no he was eternally and will be eternally the son of god and yet we have to recognize and we remember that jesus truly became a man the second adam And as the second Adam, he also is declared in his very nature as a human, the Son of God. We beheld him as the only begotten of the Father who is full of grace and truth, we read in John 1. And he is declaring that Jesus Christ in human nature is truly the Son of God, inseparable from being the Son of God. And so he goes on to say, and again, he quotes 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's the context of David being promised that he will have a son who would sit on his throne forever and ever. David wanted to build a, a, a temple for the Lord, and the Lord says, No, I will build you a house. And your son will sit upon my throne, his throne, your throne forever. And that is the Son of God. And in verse 14, he says, "I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son." And throughout his life, and Jesus is, is declaring this, but the Father is also declaring this at his baptism. This is my beloved Son on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. And after His suffering and death, He raises Him from the dead to declare to us and all of the creation and all people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is and forever will be the divine Son as the God-man. And to to him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. Because he has exalted him, highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God. Hear Him. Believe Him. Worship Him. Because He has given His glory and His name to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Will He give that glory to another? Will He give it to an angel? Will He give it to a person? Will he? It's a trick question. No, he won't give his glory to another, but he will bestow his glory upon the sons and daughters of God. Wow. Has he ever said that to an angel? to be called the sons and daughters of God as his dear children, brothers and sisters of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be Christians anointed by the Holy Spirit and to share in being a partaker of that anointing of Christ that he received in baptism. Well, Certainly the author of Hebrews has much more to say about this as we go through Hebrews. We'll just leave it there for now. But has he ever said that about even an angel? But to his son he says, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is worthy of the angel's worship. He's worthy of our worship because of his name. But secondly, because of his position. Jesus has a superior position to to angels. What what is the position of angels? Well, we read in verse 7 that to the angels, he says, that he makes them ministers of flame of fire. They're powerful. And they have an important task to be a minister, as we read in verse 14, to those who inherit salvation. We also could page ahead in chapter 2 and recognize that Jesus Christ, when He took upon Himself our flesh and became the second Adam, as, as the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8, which was also our call to worship, there He says that He had to be made a little lower than the angels. As He's made lower than the angels, He takes upon Himself the guilt of our sin. He bears it on the cross. In order that he may be raised again to be crowned with glory and to bring his brothers and sisters, sons and daughters into glory as a captain of their salvation. That's Hebrews chapter 2. But the position of angels is, is that lesser than Jesus. Maybe slightly higher than the crown of God's creation, man himself. The position and purpose and calling of the angels is to glorify God and to be sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. A high and lofty calling indeed. Don't minimize it, but realize it for where it needs to be placed. Inferior to Jesus. Because is the servant greater than the master? Absolutely not. Is the messenger greater than the sender? Absolutely not. Children, you can even understand that. You don't, you don't think so greatly of the mailman who brought you the letter and the card, maybe a birthday card that contained money in it from your grandma or something like that. I, I assume that you have much greater estimation of your grandmother than of the mailman. Servant isn't greater than their master. Sometimes we have this saying, don't shoot the messenger. When someone brings you a difficult message that you didn't want to hear, and you get a little bit upset and worked up about it, and, and they say, Don't shoot the messenger, I'm just the messenger. The same thing applies to angels. Don't worship the messenger. Worship. Ascender. Worship Jesus. The position of angels is great, but the position of Jesus Christ is infinitely more superior than that of angels. Because we read in verse 6 But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, what does he say? Let all the angels of God worship him. The angels of God are to worship Him because He who is the firstborn, as we've read in Colossians 1, the the beginning of all things, the source of all things, the one who is head over all things, He is the one who is worthy of worship and the angels of God are called to worship Him just as they did in the plains of Judea. When the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, the host, the angelic host, were singing and praising God. Glory to God in the highest. They worshiped him, and they worship him even today. Because he is the firstborn, he is the source of them, he is their creator and our creator. He is far superior. The author of Hebrews goes on. He goes on in verse 8 to show that, that Jesus Christ is superior in position, not only as Creator, but as the One who is exalted in sovereign glory over everything. Notice he quotes uh, Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The enthronement of Jesus Christ is really central to what the Old Testament saints expected. And that's why the, the disciples were still asking him, even right before he ascended into heaven, are you now going to set up your throne here in Jerusalem? They looked forward to a Christ, a Messiah, who would be anointed to be king and to set up his kingdom here even on earth. But his kingdom was not of this world and He's superior even to the angels whose kingdom is also not of this world, who are spiritual beings. You see this expectation of the Old Testament even in, in the promises. The glorious promises of Isaiah chapter 9 for Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and so on. The government will be placed upon his shoulder in his prophecy. Wasn't Mary also told that The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end in Luke chapter 1. To the son he says, as he quotes Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is a wedding psalm. Where the royal bride is is being prepared, as it were, for marriage. And and she sees her bridegroom in all of his glory. He's praising him for how handsome he is and and how how much splendor he has and how much majesty and how he smells and his strength and everything else. And all of a sudden, the psalm exclaims of the king, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's the basis. This exaltation is, is really the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. He hated wickedness, lawlessness, and loved righteousness because he is the righteous one. The second Adam who who lived a perfectly righteous life, a perfect life as the Messiah, as the Savior, in order to save sinners such as us. To whom else will you go for salvation and righteousness? You, O God, your throne is Forever. Your scepter, your rule is righteousness today and forever. And on this position we read in verse 13 as really a conclusion of all, of all of this chapter. He says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? That's his position. Seated. In power at the right hand of his Father. There's no other position that compares to the position that Jesus Christ has. Maybe I can ask you <clears throat> and myself. Who or what could have a higher position than Jesus Christ? Who or what do you consider to have a higher place in life than Jesus? And the answer to that will be to whomever you render obedience and serve outside of Jesus Christ. And when you render obedience and serve anything else other than Christ, you become a servant, a slave, in bondage to. Whether you become in bondage to sin, or Satan, or Satan's agents, or the world, or our culture, it will only lead to sorrow and death. But how about being a bondservant of the King of Kings? How about being His slave? How about being His servant? There's no other power given in heaven and on earth when I read the Bible other than to King Jesus. And He distributes that power and authority and uses people and even His angels. But He alone has power and authority. It's King Jesus. He's superior to all things and the angels. Interesting verse. In verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. What is that saying? What is the psalmist saying here? And what is the intention here of the Hebrew, uh, The author of the Hebrews. He's anointed Jesus Christ with the oil of gladness. For his righteousness sake and for his works' sake. He's given him a kingdom. He's given him a name. He's given him a position in that kingdom. And he's given him subjects of that kingdom more than all of his companions. And so that means he's also anointed his companions with gladness. It's just that Jesus Christ has been anointed in a far greater way. Isn't that so true when we think about Isaiah chapter 61? In Isaiah chapter 61, we, what do we find? The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But what does that do? What gladness does that produce? To comfort all who mourn. "...to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified." You see, His companions receive from the overflow of His anointing beauty for ashes, gladness for mourning... Praise instead of despair. Righteousness instead of unrighteousness. It's all because of the bounty of our King, King Jesus. The firstborn, the head of creation, the source of it all, the Son of God, our elder brother. All blessings flow from Him, from that position He holds at the right hand of God. It's not only a position that he has, but he also has the power to accomplish it. Sometimes we say of governments um, when they get elected into office, and and they, they may they might have a president, uh, for example, of the United States, and he's, he's he's elected as the president of the United States, and and yet, and that particular party might might also have the Senate and the House of Representatives, and, and they overwhelmingly are, have elected other party leaders to, to lead them. So you might have a, a, a Republican president with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House, and you say, the Republican president has no power. He has a position as a president of the United States, but he really has no power to govern as he would like to because he doesn't have the support of the House of Representatives and the Senate. I don't know Canadian politics quite well enough yet to be able to speak, speak on how that works in Canadian politics, I know it works differently, so that's why I use, uh, use the U.S., because I know that far better. But you have a leader, then, who has no power, no real authority to govern how he would. But Jesus Christ has the position as the king of kings, and he has the power of the king of kings. The power, the authority. The power of angels is not a power they have within themselves. Yes, they are powerful. But it's a derived power. It's a power that comes from God. I don't want to take away from the fact that the Lord sends angels to do powerful things. But they themselves are not the source of that power. And I will confess I don't see the spiritual around me, the spiritual world around me, and yet I believe it because of God's Word. I believe God uses angels to do mighty things even today. And therefore I'm thankful that I don't see them with my human eyes because I would be tempted like John was in Revelation to bow down and worship them. I'm thankful that I don't see them and what they do for us. And I appreciate them, but I don't worship them. There's a difference. Think about the power of angels. Power of angels to go unlock prison doors. Peter was in prison. Are they not? Ministering spirits sent to say, serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Think about 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha. And the Samaritans are coming to Dotham to take him. And his servant is, is, is really agitated, really nervous. And he says to Elisha, what are we going to do now? The, the, the armies had camped around them. Elisha says to him, Oh, stop, stop a second. And he prays to God and he says, God, open up his eyes so that he might see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he saw the host, the angelic host, the armies, the armies. And Elisha says, they are more than they who are against us. He struck the people, with the Samaritans with blindness they struck struck the syrians with blindness and led them into samaria but it's because of the power of god not the power of the angels the power of his created ministering spirits that are for our good But see, the psalmist in Psalm 102, which is quoted here in in verse 10, says, no, the power belongs to Jesus. Psalm, or sorry, Hebrews 1 verse 10 quotes Psalm 102. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He's the creator. They will perish. The whole creation will perish But you remain. They will all grow like a garment. And like a cloak you will fold them up. Children, just like your mother would fold up the clothes so nicely. The Lord Jesus Christ will take the heavens and the earth and and he He will fold them all up. The whole universe will be folded up like a garment. They will all be changed. By the very word of his power. But he remains the same. And his years will not fail. This is a very interesting psalm. I don't know if you noticed when I led led us in prayer. I thought psalm, when you read the whole context of it, related with, I'm sure, our hearts on many, many occasions. It's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm that cries out to God for deliverance. And he would hear our cry because our, our bones are withering, are burning up, we're perishing. We wither like the grass. We're persecuted, we're beat down. But the lament turns to rejoicing in the power of God. Because He will arise. He will have pity upon Zion. He will have mercy upon her. And His glory will appear in her. They will all perish. God remains the same. This is the same prophecy, parallel prophecy in Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 we find in verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But, but, my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. There is power in Jesus, in His creation, in His redemption of all Things And that should give us motivation to see his power in our life. So the author to Hebrews here refers again to Psalm chapter 110. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You see, Jesus doesn't just have a position of authority, but he has power in that authority, and he is active in that power. He's not just sitting there relaxing, watching everything unfold underneath. No, he's... We see that in the book of Acts. We see that throughout history. Jesus Christ is working as a victorious king who's been given all power and authority both in heaven and upon earth. And what is he doing? He's making his enemies his footstool. He's working. And that work has power in our lives through a victorious king, Jesus. This was a, a profound picture to those who, who would read it, who understood how things went in ancient times. We probably wouldn't do this today. But in those days, to show that you could exert power and, and had victory. I think of Joshua chapter 10. and They had captured the five kings and they had these kings laying there and Joshua has his, has his, he, he takes his foot and he stomps on its neck, their neck. They had them pinned down. They weren't dead yet. To to show that indeed there was power and authority exercised over these kings. And God had given them that victory. And then he slew the kings. Well, what what is this translating to in Psalm 110? And really the message of Hebrews. Is that Christ is seated at the right hand of God and all of his enemies are put put under his feet. He has declared victory over them all. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians that when the end comes, he delivers the kingdom of God the Father. He's, He's delivered the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. It will all end. Because the kingdom is given to His Son. And that last enemy we read in 1 Corinthians 15 is is death and it's destroyed. All of His enemies are destroyed. A fulfillment of the very first promise given in paradise after the fall. Christ will come to crush the head of the serpent. He will die. He will be victorious over him. He will be victorious and is victorious over sin, over Satan, over the world, over death, over the grave. They're all Christ's enemies. And he has come in his earthly ministry to show that. As he cast out demons. As he purified lepers. As he healed the sick and raised the dead as He exposed all kinds of false teaching, as He humbled the proud, as He he cleansed the temple, as He calls sinners to faith and repentance, He declares He will have victory over sin, Satan, and the world, over death and the grave. And as as He's raised from the dead, God the Father is declaring and fulfilling to us that indeed the Son is victorious. As he ascends into heaven, he declares that victory. As he sits in power, he continues to exercise that victory. It's a victorious power. And today, he comes with his word. A much better revelation than that of angels. He comes with His Word. And He calls us to faith and repentance. He calls us to believe in King Jesus. And He demonstrates His power, the power of the Gospel through the Holy Spirit in saving sinners, granting them faith and repentance. And when the last one is brought in of His dear brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of God. He will come again on the clouds and he will have no enemies left standing. The book of Revelation makes that very clear as he comes in the, with a the great white horse and judgment and, 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 and all of his angels and his people with him riding triumphantly with the sword slaying all as the blood rises up on the horses, even up to the bridles. He calls for the fowls of the air to come and to feast on his enemies. He is victorious. He sits enthroned with power. And the goal of his activity is to put his enemies under his feet. And the praise of his victory resounds through heaven in Revelation 11. The kingdom of this world has been the king become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Because there's power in his name, there's power in his word, there's power in his work, there's power in his position. And so he says, hear him. Jesus sits, dear congregation, at the right hand of God to rule over his enemies and to send his angels to minister to those who inherit salvation. I don't know if you notice something, but you and I are only one of two people One of two people. Either we are Jesus' enemy who is being put under his footstool, or we are subjects of his inheritance. And he sends his angels as ministering spirits. Flames of fire. As quick and speedily as the wind. To grace us with every blessing from Christ Jesus. Do you believe that he is superior even to the angels, to all things? Do you live like that? Do you confess that he is king? Or are you you too like the Hebrews in danger of neglecting such a king, King Jesus? That's what we'll see next time. As a purview, the next verse, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. And what must I then do? Repent and believe the gospel, for it testifies of Jesus Christ who has the power to save you and to bring you and to redeem you out of bondage and bring you from darkness into light. The glorious light of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are superior even to the angels. Lord, so often we confess that we put our hope and our confidence in things. That we can see. We put our hope and confidence in people we can see. And even if we can't see physically, and so often we don't still want to come face to face with who you are. And so we would rather consider the angels. And have fanciful imaginations about who the angels are and what they do for us. But, O Lord, help us to see today that our confidence is in nothing else than the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on his throne, who has been given all power and dominion both in heaven and upon earth. Oh Lord Jesus, take away anything and everything we might put our trust in other than you and our confidence in. And may we hear your word and may we give diligent heed to it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us sing so.